I think the mark of a great leader is how successful the people are that work for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Investing City podcast, where the goal is to get better at investing, business, and life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It really means a lot. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. On this episode of the Investing City podcast, we have the honor of speaking with Deanna Smith, and she is the CEO at Sarah Cannon. So Sarah Cannon is the Cancer Research Institute under HCA Healthcare, the biggest hospital provider in the country. And Deanna, she started out her career in accounting and she was working on healthcare companies and then she actually was leading two startups. Eventually one of them got acquired by HCA and she's been there for 13 years since. I hope you enjoy this conversation because she brings up a lot of great leadership skills and just her journey because it is really interesting. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's really valuable. Great. So I want to start out talking about how does an accounting major become the CEO of a Cancer Research Institute? I would just love to hear that story. (laughs) It's a funny story. Um, It's important, first of all, for you to know that I actually really didn't even like science that much. Um, Love math, um, did well from an accounting perspective, but even in high school, science was not my favorite thing. I started out my career at KPMG from an audit perspective, and um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be assigned to many healthcare entities where I had the opportunity to travel and to be exposed to patients and to those caregivers who take care of patients so well. And so very early in my career at KPMG, I knew that I loved healthcare. As I moved forward uh, in KPMG, I left as an audit manager and I went to work for a medical device company, uh, Smith & Nephew Richards, and understood better the medical device space, uh, but certainly missed the exposure to patients that I'd had historically in my job at KPMG. And then I started a couple of companies, one a clinical research company focused in the non-cancer areas of clinical research, and then a software company that helped enable the clinical trials process. And through those um, those adventures and uh, eventually selling those companies and selling the clinical research company to Sarah Cannon, I was introduced to the cancer space in a very different way. I have real strengths, obviously, financially and from a uh, ITNS perspective, and had the great fortune of having my company purchased by Sarah Cannon and met the passionate physicians uh, who lead the initiatives here. And, and really have to give all credit to them for all the tutoring that has happened in the cancer space and, and giving me a better appreciation for cancer patients, their struggles, and for the therapies um, that they may or may not have the opportunity to uh, utilize in their cancer journey. So I have to give all the credit to the physicians with whom I have worked in helping me to gain the knowledge to be able to lead a uh, clinical trials and cancer care organization. Wow, that's amazing. So tell us about that first clinical research company that you started. Did you see a need for it or just tell us about the origin of that? No, great. Thank you. Um, 
interestingly, in my work, uh, in my consulting work at the time, um, I met a physician, Dr. Larry Rubel, who's a gastroenterologist, and he, Ryan, was doing clinical trials in his office in GI. And so um, in areas like uh, GERD and irritable bowel syndrome and ulcerative colitis. There was a lot of work at the time in that particular area. And I met him through another CPA that I knew and um, they introduced us and um, really sort of the rest is history. He was, is a phenomenal physician. He's retired now. He's 87. And uh, he and I clicked immediately and he said, Deanna, help me build this business into a broader national platform. And so uh, he had the um, angel investors lined up to do that. And he asked me to lead it from um, all of my experience from a healthcare perspective. So certainly he taught me a lot about the clinical trial process, just not in the area of cancer. And then as we were leading that business, we recognized that we did not have the, the uh, technical infrastructure to manage the trials, to understand where we were with the trials, to understand where we were financially. And he and I and another partner started the software company that was called SiteWorks at the time. And uh, to help us, we saw the need to manage our own business. And then as it happens with so many uh, software companies, we recognized that if we needed it, then other groups might need it as well. And we ultimately sold that company to Oracle. Gotcha. So it seems like the healthcare, the healthcare business is tough to navigate with insurance and hospitals, and there's just a lot of moving parts. So what on your end is the most difficult thing about running a business in the healthcare space? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So my parent company, the parent company for Sarah Cannon is HCA Healthcare, the largest healthcare provider in the U.S., a publicly traded company under the ticker of HCA. And so you can imagine um, HCA Healthcare is a hospital company and it has outpatient facilities and providers and works um, you know, heavily with payers, I think the fact that healthcare is so heavily regulated is really difficult um, to navigate and important to navigate. There's so many laws and regulations. And then when you go specifically, Ryan, to the clinical trials business, it also has its own set of regulations with the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA. So, I, I would say navigating all of those uh, landmines and potential pitfalls is a challenge. Um, I like to move with speed and quality, and that's what our patients uh, deserve. But we have to do that in prudent and responsible ways. And so innovation and in healthcare, if you look at it compared to other sectors, and um, while there are incredible breakthroughs from a technology perspective in terms of, you know, uh, devices or medications, then technology advancements from an infrastructure perspective and innovation is uh, more difficult to achieve, I think, just because of the heavy, heavily regulated environment. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur and start your own business or did it kind of just happen? Yeah, great question. So um I am uh, from Memphis, Tennessee originally. I'm in Nashville now. And as you know, Ryan went to Pepperdine. 
And I always knew that I loved innovation and I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss. Now, everybody in the world has a boss. I have a parent company that has a board. So um, even if you have your own company, small company, you have your investors that you're accountable to. But I knew I love developing teams. I love motivating people. I love working together within a team to achieve a desired outcome. So I always knew that about myself qualitatively. I went into accounting because um, at the time I graduated from Pepperdine in 1986. And at the time, accounting was just such a wide open field for women. And I knew that I would have the opportunity to learn the financial construct of many different sectors. And then I could pick which sector I wanted to enter from there. And I knew I wanted to go with the international accounting firm like KPMG. So, um, you know, I knew qualitatively what I liked to do and that I loved leading people, was not sure that that would necessarily mean starting my own business um, or businesses. And it uh, that part of it just happened. Gotcha. So speaking of leadership, how do you personally define it? I think the mark of a great leader is how successful the people are that work for you. And um, my job as a leader is to remove barriers and to push, develop and push high potential talent to the front. So the very best meeting that I can have is when my leaders uh, step forward and shine in a particular meeting. So I think um, I'm a big fan of humility. I uh, believe in servant leadership and I believe in um, stepping back and letting others step to the front. Who are some leaders that you look up to? So uh, Dr. Frist, Dr. Thomas Frist, he and his father, Dr. Thomas Frist Sr. Uh, were the founders of HCA Healthcare. Dr. Frist will go down in history as perhaps one of the greatest healthcare entrepreneurs in the world. He is um, one of the most motiv motivational, empowering leaders that I have met. He also has an incredible amount of humility and he puts his family first. So I would say Dr. Frist would be uh, at the top of the list for me in terms of uh, leaders that I um, respect and um, would like to emulate. So you mentioned he's extremely motivational. What does that look like on a practical basis? Because that seems incredibly important from a leadership perspective. But what are some practical things he does that make you say that? Uh, so I think it's motivating for people when you recognize their contributions as much as you can when you know their name, uh, as much as you can when you take time out of your schedule. And this will sound silly, Ryan, to you, but um, if you're walking to another meeting, uh, as long as you're not late, or you're walking to take a break, or you're taking the elevator and you see colleagues uh, that are on your team and you take that extra minute to inquire about how they are and to um, genuinely, not disingenuously, but to genuinely care about their contributions and their well-being, I think is motivating for those groups. I um, 
often I speak not only within our own organization, but across the country and in the UK. And we talk a lot about um, how important the individual person is, because if you take care of your colleagues, then they will be motivated to help you fulfill the mission for the company. And for us, um, advancing therapies for cancer patients is a core part of our mission, bringing world-class care close to home. Uh, for people who are impacted by cancer, so important. So when people individually feel valued, and it doesn't mean a rousing speech necessarily, but I think motivation happens at the one-to-one level, and I need to motivate my team, they need to motivate their teams all the way down. But when I see a colleague who is at what most people would think at the bottom of the totem pole, the receptionist, they're the most important people because they're the ones in the trenches making it happen. Mm, yeah, I love that. So kind of going off of that and leadership, what are some daily duties of your job? What does the time breakdown look like versus or how much time are you spending with employees versus administrative and casting vision things? What's the breakdown? Right. Um, I've never really thought about that just in terms of percentages. I remember my daughters asking me when they were younger, mom, is all you do it, it, is all you do is meet? Because every time we call, you're in a meeting and you say, when they said, mom, you know, um, what, what did you do all day today? And all I could think of was meetings. So I feel like I don't spend, I probably spend 10% of my time behind, at my desk, which sounds crazy. Um, I have, uh, we all have cells and iPads and that's where I do a lot of my electronic communication, not, rarely at my desktop, at my desk. So I spend most of my time with people. And um, one area that I want to really improve or focus on, Ryan, for the second half of 2019 is spending more time doing what we call in healthcare rounding. And so how is it that I am out and about in our company, not just in Nashville, but in our other locations in London and in uh, Denver and Dallas and other places, really spending time with people in the field, understanding what their challenges are. So when I think about my job, Ryan, I think about, yes, it's casting vision and strategy, but it's also removing barriers for those people who are working to run fast and hard in order to help us fulfill our vision. So I'd say I spend 10% of my time at my desk and um, 90% out with, if not our colleagues, our customers. So when you're talking about that, people in the trenches spending time doing rounding, are there any stories about you meeting with somebody and they brought a problem to your attention and then you implemented something immediately. I just think that concept is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many stories. You know, it, it, don't we all sort of get trapped in the way things have always happened. We all sort of get trapped in, well, that, you know, that takes time. And I think that that is true and process is really important in companies. But often I, um, I meet with people in the organization and I see that they have not escalated an issue. They've accepted the fact that it couldn't happen. Instead of pushing on the status quo to say, why can't it happen? What, what do we need to do to make that happen? And so 
Um, I, what I don't want to do is go into the field and undermine the leaders who are in the field where I fly in and, you know, the colleagues tell me about a problem and I wave a magic wand and make it work. Um, that is immediately gratifying for those groups, but it can in many ways undermine the leadership in the field. So I have to be careful about how I do that. And what tends to happen is if an issue is brought forward in one of those meetings, Ryan, um, typically the leader, their leader is with me and I say, help me understand that and I'm seeking clarity. And then what I try to do is ideate with that particular leader about how to solve that problem so that then the leader gets the credit for solving the problem, not me. And I think that's really important. Uh, so while I might remove the barrier and while I might coach that leader to say, help me understand why you haven't escalated that yet, that's a learning time for that leader and a way for the leader to gain credibility with uh, those people that they lead. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned that a lot of your time is spent in meetings. And so yes. obviously communication is an extremely important skill. So how do you think about being a good communicator? So we're doing a couple of things. Um, first of all, one effort that we have this year is, do we have too many meetings? And are we the most efficient with the meetings that we have? And I know absolutely for, for sure, Ryan, that we're not. Because as we've grown, you know, you add more meetings. And then um, I think in many ways, you sub-optimize your efficiency. And so how do we think about utilizing technology and other ways to status one another without having to come together. The other interesting and, and complicated area is, you know, the workforce is evolving to more flexible work arrangements, to work from home. And so people are not together physically in the way today that even we were in five years ago. And so I think technology enablement is a really big part of, um, of communicating more efficiently and more effectively. Um, you may have um, seen Amazon uh, is implementing um, notes uh, in a way for them to um, status and not have to come together as, um, as often. And then you balance that, Ryan, with um, the, the value of a touch, the value of high touch, the value of FaceTime, of um, I don't mean FaceTime the technology, but although that is important, but, you know, actually seeing and being with people and building relationships. Technology cannot replace relationships. And I think in healthcare, that's really, really important. So I'm trying to do different things like um, we have a new initiative, which is called At the Table. And so instead of having a very sophisticated webcast that is has all the right lighting and all of that, we want something more casual that's shorter, 10, 15, 20 minutes max, where I address a particular topic, um, a particular area of ambiguity in the company. People are asking questions about benefits or about our colleague engagement survey. And so how can I do that in quick hits where it is authentic, answers real questions, and people can tap into that when they can. And we've had great success with the At the Table initiative. What are some attributes of a bad meeting versus a good meeting? I, I think um, a, a bad meeting lacks an agenda. It lacks an objective. And we walk out no better than we were when we walked in. So 
for me, it does, um, decision, I mean, effective meetings need to be less about status and more about what is the problem, what's the recommendation, and what do we need to do to solve the problem. So I am, I get very frustrated when I come to meetings and there's a lot of discussion, but no actioning out of that. And it's not that that doesn't need to happen sometimes. I think describing the problem and the proposed solution takes time. But when I go to a meeting, particularly at my level, I want there to be decisions and actions that come out of those meetings, uh, whether it is a document or an initiative or an assignment uh, across the room of different um, of different actions. But every time we meet, meet, we need to be meeting to move forward, not to um, really stay in the muck that we're in. And so that, that will frustrate me at times when I go to those meetings. Mm. So want to be respectful of your time. So just have a couple more questions. So from your perspective, how do you see cancer research specifically evolving? Another great question. Uh, we're making great strides every quarter. Uh, there's something coming out um, that is moving the field forward in cancer. Uh, two areas of innovation uh, that I think are big keys to the future. So you may or may not have read about immunotherapy. And immunotherapy is where we help the body, the body's immune system, recognize cancer cells. So every day right now, Ryan, you and I are making cancer cells in our body, but our immune system fights off the cancer. What happens often when the um, when you have an abundance of cancer cells that are being made rapidly, the body's immune system fails to recognize those cancer cells. And so immunotherapy is innovation that's happened in the last, really in the last decade, uh, and it's now brought forward with certain subsets of patients, like 30% of lung cancer patients are eligible for immunotherapy. And that is taking a pill, helping the immune system turn on recognizing the cancer cells and fighting those cancer cells. So that's incredible because it's not chemotherapy where you lose your hair and have all the toxicity that we commonly think of in the cancer world. So that's been huge innovation. And I think there's more to come in that area. The second area of innovation is really cellular therapies. And so how is it that we can take cells and engineer those cells in order to put those back in the body to fight cancer? Um, vaccines, um, cellular therapy and vaccines are really, I think, uh, the the future in cancer care, not just in blood cancers like leukemia and lymphoma, but also in the solid tumor cancers like um, breast and lung and colon cancer. Gotcha. Wow. And so just the last question, are there any daily habits that you do that have led to your success? I think so. Um, in the morning when I get up, I spend that time. Um, it, it used to be that I only spent the time exercising in the morning, which is great and so important to stay healthy. Um, and that, that's an important part of my routine, but also spending time centering my mind and thoughts. Um, in the, I'm an early morning person. I'm probably Ryan, an early morning elitist. Um, I, I, uh, get up at five o'clock in the morning and I uh, spend that time getting myself together emotionally and spiritually and physically. And that helps me to be more productive, 
during the day. I also have started putting my phone down for set periods of time. And so as we kid in our house and joke in our house about the no phone zone, how is it that we actually, it's not just that we don't look at our phone, but we just don't even have our phone with us for that period of time. I'm doing that on vacation. I'm trying to do that on the weekends more and, and at night after a certain period of time. And that may sound silly, but we don't realize what a drain being constantly connected is. And so as we think about being the most effective and as we think about being the best leaders we can be, making sure that you may have read about the concept of sharpening the saw. How is it that we keep the saw very, very sharp so that it takes one cut and not 10 cuts because we're so exhausted? So I'm really spending time thinking about, you know, emotional, spiritual and physical health, um, because as leaders, we need that and we need that stamina. I love that. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you so much for asking me. Thanks again for listening. You can find more information at www.investingcity.org where you can sign up and subscribe for our email newsletter that goes out every Friday. And you can also follow us on basically every social media platform on the face of the earth. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave us an iTunes review as it really helps us out. And with that, have a fantastic day.